brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Uh, Travis, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Travis. I am a longtime Wheel of Time fan. I think I've been reading the books for almost 10 years now, and I don't know how many times I've reread. I don't even think I have enough fingers. Is that only as high as you can count? Yeah, that's about as high as I can count. About <laughs> nine or so. Ten's where it gets difficult. Yeah, once you get into double digits, it starts to get really confusing. Yeah, keeping track of both digits at the same time can really be complicated. Yeah, I mean, I've met people who can count up to three digits, and it just blows my mind. Sounds like that's not very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been listening to us for how long now? Since shortly after you guys got back from JordanCon, you guys did the interview with Ebony, uh, and she posted it in the big Facebook group for the Wheel of Time, and I think I read the interview and was like, that looks like something I'd want to check out, and I didn't because I'm horrible about following up on anything, and then I saw it again and was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, so I downloaded the podcast on the, the iTunes store. Um, and I've been, I was hooked. I was hooked from like the first episode. I was going to say, you've been, uh, participating in the discord chat pretty, uh, aggressively since then. <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, saying, yeah. you, you have found many a hill to die on. I have found many a hill to die on and I have found many people to die on these hills with me. That's true. That is true. You... <laughs> That's the important part. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons I, I wanted to invite you on is I think you've got Bambi. Um, <laughs> you've got some really strong opinions about the series that don't necessarily match up with me and Patrick's. You know what? Honestly, I find myself disagreeing with you guys less and less often than I think anybody anticipates. A lot of a lot of the stuff that you guys say, I really, really agree with. 
there were a few times when I was listening through before I got involved in, in the Discord where I was like, I wish that I was there because they need to be corrected. <laughs> you know, we record our episodes live. Um, people are in Discord in a chat listening to the audio and there's a, a text chat, but the text chat keep never stops. So it's going 24 hours a day and we're only here for like a couple hours, two nights a week. So And and my biggest thing with the live recording text channel is that like I can think a hell of a lot faster than I can type. <laughs> it's true. When when you get like, you know, somewhere between ten and fifteen people talking at once, the chat's moving so fast it's hard hard to even keep up. Yeah, you go to respond to one person's comment, and by the time that you're halfway done typing, we're on a completely different subject. Yeah. Well, it's it's getting popular these days. We recently broke up the chats into, again, for audio-only people, you already know this, Travis, but we recently broke up the chats into lots of lots and lots of smaller sections to try to help break up the different conversations so that you can keep up at least with like one one of the feeds one of the many feeds <laughs> right and i i've definitely found that my favorite places to be are in my aja chats in theories and in dark friend social i mean yeah gleeman's I... corner does little for me the randland art collection is fun though i do like the art the art is always good uh, how can you not like the light blessed pet pics I, you know what i completely <laughs> glossed over it because as good of a channel as that is it's not as active as the others it, it, it i love that it's a good way to sequester all the pet pics though it is a good way to sequester <laughs> all the pet pics because i feel like that could derail any other channel very quickly chapter 27 teleran riad and our symbol is the twisted stone ring which is quite apt yeah. The world of dreams, the Terangrial of dreams. The room Egwene had been given on the same gallery with Nynaeve and Elaine was little different from Nynaeve's. Her bed was a trifle wider, her table a little smaller. Her bit of rug had flowers instead of scrolls. That was all. After the novices' quarters, it seemed like a room in a palace. But when the three of them gathered there late that night, Egwene wished she were back on the novice galleries with no ring on her finger and no hands on her dress. The others looked as nervous as she felt. They had worked in the kitchens for two more meals, and in between tried to puzzle out the meaning of what they had found in the storeroom. Was it a trap, or an attempt to divert the search? Did the Amaralyn know of the things? And if she did, why had she not mentioned them? Talking provided no answers, and the Amaralyn never appeared so they could ask her. See, and I, I highlighted that sentence. Did the Amaralyn know of the things? And if she did, why had she not mentioned them? And I think it becomes apparent later that she didn't know. This was not something that she had any idea about. I think that there's speculation and theory out there that Lawnfear actually set this up. That's what me, I oh, think that's 100%, the conclusion yeah. me and Seth pretty much came to in the chapter where they go to the storeroom. Because that's Else Grinwall is Celine who leads them right to that location. Right, yeah. She walks yeah. into their room and is like, hey, the Armorlin said that there's stuff about the Black Aja in this storeroom. Have fun. So ridiculous. Yeah. By the way, the Armorlin gave me this top secret information to pass to you. Tee hee hee, I'll go back to my novice stuff now. And staring and at the like boys because the... she's Come a lazy. On. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm not going to act anything like else actually acts. I'm going to be disdainful <laughs> and arrogant. 
Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the Amarillan doesn't know about this stuff. This stuff was entirely set up by Lanfear um, to draw the girls to uh, the Stone of Tear. She's been given a different room because she's been raised to accept it. So this next paragraph I felt like was probably going to start spark a lot of debate. And basically, Varen walks into the kitchens, or Varen had come into the kitchens earlier, but Varen walks into the kitchens and just kind of wanders in, staring blurry-eyed around, and then walks over to the girls and just asks them out loud if they have found anything. And they say, no, nothing but grease and sweat, Nynaeve said. Well, keep looking. She peered around the kitchen again, frowning as though puzzled to find herself there, and left. I highlighted that section too, yeah, because it's like, like Bambi is saying in the in the in the chat right now is she's full blown brown mode, pretend to be oblivious as hell, but you're really being super calculated and super observant. I I see that in Varen's character too. I think that the oblivious. The obliviousness is mostly a play, yes. but she's never actually oblivious. Sam no, Varen is never oblivious. Varen knows. <laughs> it's one of our catchphrases. But this seems weird and suspicious. Seth is holding up a finger. I have a theory. Yeah. So I know that Lanfear is setting up the trip, and I know that Varen is a dark friend. And I'm wondering if one of the reasons that Varen is so confused about being there is she is under a compulsion to check on the girls and see if they've made any progress on finding what Lanfear wants her to, wants them to find. I suspected compulsion when I read this because she walks out. It's the confusion about where she is. Yeah, but I really think that confusion says, is feigned. I don't think that. Sure. I think that that's just how she deflects attention from other sisters looking at where she is and speculating on where she is. She's a brown with her book in her notes or, or her, her nose in her notes and is just completely oblivious to everything. And she happened to wander into the kitchen because whatever reason and happened to see the girls there. And is like, well, since I noticed you, you guys find anything? No? Oh. Okay, well, keep it up, guys. I'm going to go back to being oblivious. But she's not oblivious. So then what was her purpose in asking them that? See, that's where that's where I draw a complete blank. I mean, she's she's interested. She has several reasons to be interested. She herself is black and does not want to be found out. So she might just be checking in on the girls to be like, Hey, what clues do you guys have and how can I better cover my tracks? And two, she's also got to find out because the Black Aja knows that she has been assigned by the Amarlin to help these girls find the Black Aja. Yeah. And she's also been assigned by the Amarlin to help these girls find the Black Aja, which means that she has two forces greater than herself telling her to keep a close eye on these girls. That's what I think, but I wanted to throw out that other theory. Yeah, no, the idea of her being under compulsion is super compelling. <laughs> I see what you did there. So either compulsion or... Orders. Yeah. Or orders. Or just direct orders. I, I really lean more heavily towards direct orders, but I don't think we have enough 
in the entire series to say whether it's compulsion or not. So it's it's just as viable a theory as anything else. That's just a lot of uh, Varen, you know, we don't really know why she does what she does, and we know she has conflicting motivations. So yeah. we can assign either one of those motivations to all of her actions. And I think it's left ambiguous. This is a little bit on an aside, but how how evil do you think Varen has actually been? Do you think that she's done some pretty atrocious things as a black? Yes. I think you would probably have to. I wish we could see some, like, Black Aja meeting chapters, but we really... I mean, the initiation is certainly the murder of an innocent. Do you think so, really? Yeah. Is there proof for that, or is that just your headcanon? There's proof of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the confidence behind that. Uh, I don't, I don't ha- recall, but they do have to take a test. There is definitely, like, you don't just get into the black. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think you just get into the black. I don't think it's just a, you walk into Welcome the council the party. and it's like, hey, I want to be one of you guys. And they're like, okay, cool. They're going to, it's, <laughs> I think of it a lot like uh, what Thurava and Savannah did with the wise one, where she got all of the channelers together and was like, just rip this bitch to pieces. And now you're all bound to me. Yeah, that's something like that. Except yeah. it, I, I thought it might be a little one-on-one cage match. Two I said I enter, one I said I leaves. <laughs> and they both wanted to join the Black Aja. That doesn't seem like the best way to recruit, though. Doesn't seem like it. Because, like, if you have two women that are both trying to join the Black, and you're like, well, only one of you can join, the one of you that survives, then... And you yet just, the you Dark One does under. like competition. Oh, you know, I forgot. I left the oven on. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) So then, all right, just quickly, why do you think everyone else shows up? We can get through that. So, yeah, all all these eyes that I show up also to kind of stare at the girls as they do their work. And I think they all come for their own reasons. I do, too. There's one more thing that I wanted to comment on just before we get to the flux of other... Well, sure. I guess it's kind of in the middle of all of that, but the fir- it's the part, the sentence at the end of uh, the paragraph. The first few weeks would be bad, of course, but they had to choose, or the choosing would be done for them. I think that's in response to like Anaya or Awana, somebody telling them that they need to pick their classes. Yeah, right, right. And I just kind of wanted to say that is a complete understatement because they're about to get launched headfirst into a battle with the Forsaken and the Black Aja, which is nothing that any Accepted has ever had to undergo in their first few weeks as Accepted ever in the history of ever. Yeah. It's a small test. So they're they're accepted. <laughs> their first couple of weeks as Accepted are even harder than normal. Yes. That, than they normally would be. I'd, I'd say it's non-traditional education. <laughs> it's non-traditional. <laughs> I think they honestly would prefer it, though. Looking back, they'd probably prefer it to, you know, getting a few beatings from Shiryam. Yeah, totally. They like <laughs> what they're doing in some part of all their, in all their characters, wants to do it. Definitely a pass-fail test when you go up against the Forsaken. <laughs> uh, Sam says Swan chooses, he chose for them, the Black Aja hunting class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a lab. It's a lab. <laughs> <laughs> that that leads us right into, like you were saying, Alana shows up and asks Egwene if she wanted to know more about the Green Aja. And I, I think that, well, we speculated about Alana before. 
Alana wants to be connected to events and she keeps popping up because she's interested in being close to the importance, important going goings on. Um, but I think, okay, this is just my head cannon, but I think Alana believes that each of the three girls who are three of the most powerful channelers found in like a hundred years or whatever are all really good candidates for the green Aja. The green Aja has a good chance to pick up three really powerful channelers. Absolutely. And I think we we hashed this out. I mean, two of them do pick the green, and one of them even heavily considered picking the green. Yes. And I think that's why Alana's saying, hey, go ahead and pick up the pace and get your classes done so you can graduate. So you right, can join the so green. you can Have you... be one of my sisters in Aja. Yeah. Have you thought about this more? You want some lessons? Pick your lessons. What do you want to do for about <laughs> your lessons? And she's like... Have you heard about our Lord and Savior? <laughs> our Lord and the Savior, the green Aja. <laughs> Um, and that, that could also be a little bit of a play at like, well, if you can't think of something, maybe I can come up with something for you. Like, why don't you come visit me? We'll talk about this and right. take you under my wing. And I can you know, guide you to the green. Aja. Right to where I want you to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think with Alana that the speculation that she wants to be part of events is real because she was accepted the same time Moraine and Swan were. And like, if you read, if you read New, New Spring... I completely drew a blank there, Jesus. She noticed that they were always up to something, and I, I think that I remember her always wanting to be a part, even then, as a novice or as an accepted. A part, a, a part of the just a part plans. of of things, yeah. Of of whenever other people are doing big things or grouping together, she wants to be included. Yeah, I guess Alana. I always thought of Alana as being a little bit of a puppet of Varen's. But Alana's stronger than Varen, isn't she? Like Alana technically stands higher in the in the White Tower hierarchy than Varen does. Technically, but Varen's so much older and and much more subtle, more experience and much more subtle, and all that kind of stuff. That Varen might or Alana might think she's in charge, but Varen's the one who's in control. Right. Like, Varen might have to follow a direct order, but but Varen can also guide Alana to give the right orders. I, I like that. I think in the future, there are a lot of places in the book where Varen and Alana are together, and Alana's kind of the hammer, and Varen's sort of... The hand that guides The him. hand. Yeah. yeah. I see it. One other thing I wanted to say about Alana, and then we can move on to Anaya or whatever, <laughs> yeah. is that... She has an interest in being a part of things, but even more so, she has an interest in the three boys, especially Rand. And she sees these two girls, particularly with Egwene and Nynaeve, and I guess in a way, Elaine. She might not know the connection with Rand and Elaine yet, but she sees that as a way into connection with, with Rand. Like... Your cat's hilarious. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening, but it's funny. Yeah, I think she's super interested in bonding one of the three as a warder. Oh, absolutely. She wants to be tied to one of those Taviran. I, I don't know if she knows yet that they're Taviran, but she knows they're important. She was in Faldara when the Amarlin had private counsel with each one of them individually. And can I just say, I think she might be a little attracted to him. Oh, definitely. Green. I think there was even yeah, a comment made I'm by her. I think that she even comments later in the series that, like, she secretly or, like, in her own way wanted Rand to love her. And that's part of why she bonded him. Moving on to Elida, who 
just stands, just walks into the kitchen and puts her hands on her hips and stares at them for a while and walks out. <laughs> what? What? All right. I don't fine. know. Because she's a spiteful bitch. Yeah. I think part of it is she just wants Elaine to know that, like, I'm still hovering over you. You will never escape me. Like, she wants Elaine under her thumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Shiriam's just, like, kind of pissed that she has to punish them. And she's coming in to glare at them a little bit. Right. Well, I mean, and she's mistress of novices, but she's still over the accepted as well. So she right. has to keep her eye on them. And with Anaya, I think Anaya, her her mom instincts kicked in. Like, she was just like, you guys are being treated so harshly for, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Anaya is just like, what's what's actually going on here? And I, I think Anaya is pretty much what she appears to be. Other than, you know, maybe she's the head of the blue. That might uh, have some. I, I think Lelaine is the head of the blue. I don't think Anaya is. Is this right? I, I think there's speculation that Anaya was at one point the head of the blue, but perhaps not anymore. I'm pretty sure it's Lelaine, though. I mean, she's one of the most powerful members of the blue Aja, aside from Moraine and Swan. And she's got the age for it. She's a sitter in the hall. I feel like Lelaine is is the head of the blue. And isn't it a secret? Yes. Nobody knows except the Aja. Nobody's supposed to know except the Aja itself. And maybe the Amerlin. That's a good idea, Lauren, that uh, Anaya might be watching over the girls because of Moraine. Because Anaya and Moraine are both blues, and Anaya wants to get them into the blue Aja. Yeah, and doesn't Egwene note that Anaya is the only one that she has like a kind of look of concern on her face when she is walking through? Yeah, it says Anaya stood the same way, but her look was more concerned. Until she saw them glancing at her, then her face became a match for Elida's and Shriam's before her. Yeah, so I, I, I think you're right. I think she's just kind of, you know, maybe partly looking after Moraine's project and partly she just cares as a human you know yeah i think it's a combination of the two because she's always described as being very motherly also this hasn't come up yet and it just popped into my head all of those women that showed up were all at Egwene's testing the night before right yeah shiriam elida anaya and alana mm-hmm. and alana was felt particularly bad like she tried to she she asked Swan if she could join the girls in the kitchen the next day. And of course, Swan said, no, you can't scrub pots. That's ridiculous. You're an Aes Sedai. Be a grown woman. But she does show up anyway, just to kind of look after them. So it's, you know, it's also possible that all these women are walking through. I'm sure they have their own personal motivations, but they're all walking through to just, you know, look at them and see if they're still healthy. Yeah, particularly I mean, Egwene. Particularly you know? Egwene after everything that went down with the, the 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 rings malfunctioning the way they did. It's interesting. So sorry, I'm I'm just looking up for a selector, head of the blue jaw. In New Spring, it was Edith who was a sitter of the blue. Sam is saying in Discord that people suspected it was Anaya, but it's been Lelaine all along. Is that what you're saying, Sam? Yeah, it looks like a lot of the speculation on Anaya being the head is because she sat on, she was part of the Saladar Six. As was Morel, who ends up being the Captain General of the Green for the Rebels. But 
we only know for sure that the lane was the head of the blue We're, we never are told for sure that Naya is the head now yeah, we never get any other confirmation so I guess I mean I've been reading this as though Anaya was the head of the blue, which is why she's showing so much interest in these girls. It's very feasible. So, but but that's I yeah you're right I don't have any proof for that. In any case, she's an important member, right? As one of the more powerful eyes that either are. Yeah, and isn't she like incredibly gifted with healing too? Yeah, and Elaine's talking about joining how she wants to join the green aja so she can get married one day and how great it would be if the fir- her first consort could be and she trailed off and of course she's thinking about rand of course Rand's cutie and Egwene has a little pang of jealousy but she kind of talks herself out of it she doesn't want her friend though to have to marry the dragon reborn in a incredibly sad end to that thought paragraph i mean she's definitely thinking like i can't be with him because he's the dragon reborn, so nobody can be with him because he's the dragon reborn. There's definitely a bit of flawed... Yeah, and that it's, you know, that it's incredibly dangerous. Right. Yeah, I think it's less of, like, nobody can be with him, and more of, like, anybody that falls in love with him is also falling into massive heartbreak. I think that it's right. less, like, vindictive and more protective. Totally, totally agreed. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I wanted, to, the way I wanted to say it. She was almost beginning to dislike white as much as she did gray, talking about Egwene. We know that she hates gray because of her time as, as a Damani, um, and she's starting to hate white because she's stuck in a white dress and scrubbing pots, and it's gross. And do, does, she ever, does she ever wear white or gray as Omerlin? Oh, fun question. I mean, I think she does occasionally wear white. No, you know, I well, I guess when she's Armalyn, she's also a novice, right? So Elida puts her back into whites. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, when she was when she was Armalyn of her own volition and not captive under the Red Witch, she never wears gray again. That's for sure. And I think she tends to avoid the white because she doesn't want to look young. I I seem to recall her wearing a lot of green for the Aja she would have picked. Am, am I right on there? I think I'm right on that. And a little bit of red. Yeah. Some blue. I think she wears some blues. But no, I don't think she ever wears white again. I think she might even do some yellow. I know that she rocks red when she unites the tower. Right. And picks a red as her second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she gained mad respect for Silviana. Who does she pick as her... Who does she pick again? Silviana. Silviana. Silviana's a red sister, the one who beats her. He's, she's the mistress of the she novices. She was the mistress of novices under Elida. Okay. Oh, Silviana's a real name. Messing, real name again, messing up my Google search. <laughs> <laughs> I also know here that people are still shipping a Glad. Uh, well, yeah, because that's what should have happened. Totally. But, you know, this is post... <laughs> I wanted to point out that this is post Elaine's talk to Egwene, where I thought Egwene had switched over to Gawain. But here she's still mooning after Gollet. Yeah, she still moons after Gollet a little bit. I don't think that she really starts to get super attached to Gawain until she runs into him in Kyrian, I want to say, after training with the Wise Ones. I mean, I know they're definitely together there, but I thought she was like fantasizing and dreaming about him long before then. 
Yeah, it, it could be. Yeah, but I yeah, Gamma Kinsey, I think that's that's the that's the part right there where she like has the naughty dream of Gawain and that's what completely shifts her. Like that's when she goes from Galad to Gawain complete 180. Yeah, I think it it you know, that seed is already in her mind. Yeah. And this is just the water that made it sprout, I think. Also, at this point, she's starting to mess with the world of dreams, and at and then at some point, I, I I'm pretty sure they're sleeping with each other in their dreams. Oh yeah, for a long quite time. a while. Yeah. <laughs> Mackenzie says in the in the live recording text that his dream finds her, and then she's done. Which I think I, I do remember that being the way that it happened. Like. But that only happens if the two parties are attracted to if have strong feelings for each it other. It doesn't have to be two parties. It only has to be one party. If she had strong feelings about Gawain or if Gawain had strong feelings about her, they could intersect. And they don't have to be positive feelings either. They can be hatred or right. anger too. Right. Like I'm sure that if Egwene veered too close to Elida's dreams, she would get sucked in pretty hard too. Yeah, I can I can buy that. Sure. I just I like that they get together in the world of dreams. <laughs> First couple of hookups are. <laughs> I'm nodding. Egwene, that's not an ethical use of power. So to to <laughs> debate that, would you say that it happens in the world of dreams, or would it? Would you say that it happens in Gawain's dream, which are two it's completely in different places? Yeah, it's in Gawain's dream. Yeah, I think it's her going into his dream. It didn't happen in Tar. No. Oh, right. I was saying that, but I was, you know, you know what I meant. The only reason (laughs) that that's important, and I hate that I have to say this, is that it means, like, physically, she's still a virgin. Yes, yes. (laughs) She still has her maidenhead. (laughs) Yes. If they had had sex in Teller and Riyadh, then she would would no longer be a virgin. Can you get pregnant in Teller and Riyadh? No. um, I would say if you're both there in the flesh. Otherwise, no. Okay. Well, that's fair. Well, yeah, yeah, obviously. No. <laughs> but, I mean, things that happen to you happen, and we see that poison can affect you. Yeah, I don't know. I I want to <laughs> say no. I want to say no to this because your physical body didn't actually have sex, and the the physical ejaculation never happened. That's what I would think. Uh, but okay, here's an example. Perrin wakes up and he's splashed with the bodily fluids of the man who was skinned. Oh shit! And the bodily fluids transmitted from one location to the other. That's true. He wakes up and uh, covered in blood. I don't know. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say that if if they they did the do in the world of dreams and they weren't there in the flesh, then nobody's getting pregnant. I'm smirking at this whole conversation, <laughs> guys. <laughs> I mean, certainly not in a dream, but in the world of dreams? Only if they were there in the flesh. I'm just going to stick with only if they were there in the flesh. Does that count as abstinence? We should probably move on. <laughs> so Nynaeve busts out the pouch with the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Way to change the subject. Right. <laughs> they offer to go with Egwene and Egwene lays out all these reasons why they shouldn't 
says it it may not work and we won't know we'll have wasted time and i have that part highlighted too Nynaeve handed her the pouch a long thin strip of leather perhaps it will work for for more than one at once i could go with you perhaps and i just i think that's that's just pure big-hearted loving protective mother lion Nynaeve to the core I feel like she just loves Egwene so much and can't fathom the idea of sitting there helpless while something potentially dangerous and violent could happen to her. I think you're right. Mother hen Nynaeve? Oh yeah, mother lion Nynaeve. She is more than a hen. That that woman is a lion. Man, hens are dinosaurs. Don't mess with them. (laughs) I wanted to bring up, do we think the stone ring could work on two people at once? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. It'd be really hard to make it touch two people simultaneously while they were sleeping. While falling asleep, yeah. I mean, I guess if you both had it in your hand. Like if you were holding hands and it was locked in between your two hands? Maybe, possibly. Or like squeezed in between your arms. But like when we see Sylvie pull it away from Egwene here eventually, you know, I feel like then you'd have to be holding hands in the dream the whole time as well. Well, I I don't think that it has to have constant contact with you. I don't think it's so much that Sylvie pulled the dream ring off of Egwene. I think that Sylvie, as Lanfear, just literally forced her out of Teleran Riyadh the same way that we see the Wise Ones do to her later when she starts her training. I think she does it with more pain. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because she's spiteful and masochistic. <laughs> or I should say sadistic, rather. We'll get there, though. Mm-hmm. Egwene wants them to stay there and be awake because she's afraid to go to sleep alone. Yeah. And I need to her to sleep using her mother's lullaby, which we see her do a lot. Like like when they're being beaten in jail, she uses that again. Yeah. And I notice that she's thinking about Rand and Perrin as she goes to sleep, and that's who she sees. And I wonder if those are at all related. Maybe. Nynaeve began to hum softly. Egwene recognized the nameless, wordless tune her mother used to hum to her when she was little. When she was lying in bed, in her own room, with a fluffy pillow and warm blankets, and the mingled smells of rose oil and baking from her mother, and... Rand, are you all right? Perrin? Who was she? Sleep came. She stood among rolling hills, quieted with wildflowers and dotted with small thickets of leafy trees in the hollows and on the crests. Butterflies floated above the blossoms, wings flashing yellow and blue and green, and two larks sang to each other nearby... Just enough fluffy white clouds drifted in a soft blue sky, and the breeze held that delicate balance between cool and warm that came only a few special days in spring. It was a day too perfect to be anything but a dream. Where is this place? I don't know, but I'll tell you, it reminded me a lot of Nynaeve's third test. And she wakes up and she's, or not wakes up, but she, you know, comes into this place and she's standing on this hill full of butterflies. It's a peaceful place that, for some reason, both Egwene and Nynaeve imagine. I always imagined it as sort of an idyllic set of hills outside the two rivers. But rereading this, I don't. I, I think it's more of an idyllic dreamscape. It's like what she thinks a dream should look like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's kind of what I got out of it. I also highlighted just for the keep an eye out for it section was like butterflies and larks show up in the world of dreams because there's a big conversation a few weeks ago about 
what animals do and don't appear in the world of dreams. Yeah, I noticed there was a cardinal in here as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And generally animals don't appear in the world of dreams. Domesticated animals don't. So you won't see horses, you won't see cattle, you won't, you won't see dogs and cats. The elephants in the circus don't show up because those particular elephants have been domesticated. But, like, we see lions and we see, I mean, wolves are a different situation because they're so deeply connected. But Well, and the wolves do hunt, like deer and such. Right, and there's deer and we see boar and we see, we do see other animals. So we're agreeing that they occur there naturally. Yes. And this isn't just Egwene's projection. These are this is like an actual place in Teleran Riyadh. She didn't make this happen. Yeah. Just to see if she could, she opened herself to the one power. Sidar filled her. We have had many conversations about this oh, on yeah. Discord. Is, is this where we're getting into it? I think this is where we're getting into it. I think we... I, I wanted to comment on the fact that Egwene looked at her dress and it had a panel of white. And she changed it to green because she hates white. <laughs> Being a novice kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. This debate we've been having is one of perception, I'd say, more so than reality. So the idea is, if in the world of dreams you show up and you channel, are you tapping in to true one power? Or are you tapping into a dream equivalent of it and creating the power with your mind because you expect it to be there? Yeah. And in short, are you channeling because you believe that you're channeling or are you actually tapping into the one power and channeling? Nodding. Nodding. I understand the question and I understand both sides of it. And I think there's absolutely no question as to where I fall. (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this is one of Travis's hills. This is one, one of my one hills. hills. Yes. <laughs> and so which which side of the hill do you fall on? I fall on the hill that claims that the one power in Teller and Riyadh is real. I think that it's spelled out pretty clearly right here. I mean, the author obviously has to work through the perception of his characters, but the author also has to be able to convey facts. He has to be able to info dump. And... I I make that argument here where just to see if she could, she opened herself to the one power. Sayadar filled her. Even here, it was present. She channeled the flow lightly, delicately, directed it into the breeze, swirling butterflies into fluttering spirals of color, into circles linked with circles. Abruptly, she let it go. There was no, like, she stopped thinking about it. Like, there was a process that she went through of embracing the source of channeling the flow the way that she normally would in the real world and then letting it go when she realized that, oh shit, I don't know if there's a mirror draw here that can feel me channeling. All right, here's my counter argument. And I will say, I agree with you. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, so you're playing yeah, devil's advocate. Compelling. <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate because, <laughs> I, I, because I think it has some holes, right? I mean, first of all, the physical body is in fact channeling for a lot of these women when they're in the world of dreams. And they're only able to channel spirit in the physical world. And they are actually connected to the one power constantly while in the world of dreams. Those of them that are using the Dreamweaver Terangriel. Yes, yes, the Dreamweaver Terangriel. So obviously not true with this one, but for all of those women, how are they both embracing the source 
in the real world and using spirit and then also embracing it in Teleron Riyadh and channeling various other powers. I would explain it with their physical body, their physical sleeping body is channeling spirit because that's the only of the five powers that you can channel while sleeping. Right. But their conscious mind and soul technically is the part of them that goes into Teller and Riyadh. And their conscious mind and soul can still channel. I will say up until this point, I've been on the other hill, <laughs> on the right. opposing hill, the Travis, on the hill that opposes Travis's hill. The, the, where we all live in a, a that illusion. In the dream, nothing is real. Nothing at all is real, but but it's real and it's not at the same time. So what is real is what you make real. So I my my thinking was always that, for instance, I always use this kind of analogy where we all remember that point in the series where in a panic, I believe it was Egwene runs into Perrin during a battle in Teleran Riyadh and fires Balefire at him and he slaps it out of the air. I always say dramatically, he just holds his hand up and stops it. But And he says, oh, it's just a weave and she can't imagine how that's possible. Now, that's that still doesn't disprove the other hill. But my thinking is that if Perrin wanted to, he could he could channel in the world of dreams. But why would he? Because he would have to go through this whole learning process that the girls have to go through to channel in the, the real world, how to make the weaves, how they work. And so for Perrin, it doesn't make any, even though it is possible for him to channel, because all he would have to do is believe he was doing it. He would still have to know how in order for the mechanics to work in the same way. The thing is, Perrin doesn't need to channel in, in Teleran Riyadh because he can kind of skip that step. Yeah, he can, he can impose his will strongly enough that he doesn't, he doesn't need to do all that. And I suppose that, that is my argument that if counter argument that if someone could learn to channel in Teleron Riyadh who could not channel in the real world then yes. it would be just an illusion and something you do with your mind right however if that's not possible then you're actually connecting to the real world and channeling the real one power yes. when you channel in Teleron Riyadh so I, I would say that like uh, the line that Travis read, just to see if she could, she opened herself to the one power, said our filled her. So Egwene's in this headspace where she says, well, this works in the real world. Let's see if it will work here. And of course it does. Everything works here. <laughs> and and everything even works the same, feels the same, because she already knows what it should be. And it's not a stretch for her mind to to do that, to do the stuff that she does all the time anyway. Whereas I'm thinking, well, I go back to the constants, right? There's Teleron Riyadh is one constant, the creator and the uh, one power is another, and the dark one and the true power is the third. And by opening herself up to the one power, she's actually connecting to another constant of the universe. Yeah. And that's why it's different than anything else, because it is one of the three constants. And Teleron Riyadh is the other one. <laughs> but another thing that always comes into my mind when we're having these com this conversation is what of you is in the world of dreams? So your body stays in the real world. Right. What is that that goes into the world of dreams? It's representation of you. Certainly your mind goes. 
like your mind, your does soul? Does your soul go as well? And I think it does, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to be killed. This was a question for Robert Jordan from a guy named Napoleon Coplin. The part of the dreamer, and this is this is the <laughs> this is the response from name. Robert Jordan. The Napoleon Coplin, the part of the dreamer that enters Teller and Riyadh, can be thought of as the dreamer's consciousness, but it, but it is, in any case, not corporate. That is, it has no physical reality outside of Teller and Riyadh. A dreamer might make a gateway from the unseen world to the waking world, but there would be nothing physical that could step through and exist outside of the unseen world. Right. Your soul goes. Your consciousness goes. It's not your physical body. It's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a projection of yourself. And yet alterations to your soul and mental capacity can have effects on your body in the real world. Yes. Right? Because if someone stabs you, that affects your body. So interview, question from Ted Herman. How was Nynaeve able to channel fire when she slept in the Ravin scene, Fires of Heaven, Chapter 55? Robert Jordan responded with, in Teller and Riyadh, you can channel fire. You can channel spirit only from your sleeping body, but being in Teller and Riyadh is different, and you can channel anything. Sure, because you can imagine anything. Hmm. You can channel anything. Yeah, I know. I, I, I think you're reading too much into his words. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't think it's settled one way or the other. I don't know. It seems like a pretty solid quote from Robert Jordan. And I totally get that. And I see that. And it's such a compelling argument because somebody who expects to be able to channel would be able to channel because they believe it in their heart of hearts. They just know it's there. And there you go. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the other side of the argument. Right, and I, I totally get it. I, totally, I, I definitely don't want people to think that when I'm hashing out my side of the argument and I'm standing uh. firm on my hill and I'm taking these arrows to the heart that I'm not also listening to the message tied to these arrows. Uh, I mean, again, when we talk about it, that's the wonderful thing about headcanon. You know, this is, this is one of those things where you literally cannot... Yeah. You cannot find evidence one way or the other so you get to decide on which hill you want to die on exactly a few other things that compel me <laughs> a few other things that compel me to say that channeling and teller and riyadh is real is that slayer wanted to be able to channel he asked yeah. the dark one for that power that's why he became a dark friend or that's why luke mantier became a dark friend because he wanted the dark one to grant him the ability to channel but instead, he gave him the ability to enter Teller and Riyadh, where he could have even more control over reality than channeling. Because he couldn't give him channeling. But if Luke wanted to channel, then when he's in Teller and Riyadh, being a master of Teller and Riyadh the way that he is, why doesn't he just channel? I agree with you, but the counter-argument is he doesn't know how to channel. So, But he can will it. He can will it to pretend that he's channeling. You know what I mean? Like, whatever his psychological he, image of channeling is, he can project, but he never does. He, he could, for instance, like, throw a fireball if he wanted to. Correct. I, we don't see him do anything like that, but... Well, and, and, and here's the other argument, that the in Telerun Riyadh, the further away from reality you get, the harder it is to maintain the change. Telerun Riyadh wants to revert back to normal. Ch and channeling being reality, there is none of that, like, 
pressure to revert back to normal when you're trying to channel. No, because channeling is, is real. Whereas it does defy your will when you're trying to make a hallway and the White Tower basements collapse on Masana. Yeah. Yep. But you can then channel into that same hallway and using Earth, make it collapse onto Masana. If you're out there and you're interested in having these conversations, there's a link on the Patreon page. You don't have to pay to join the conversation. You can just join it. The next thing is really encountering Perrin. Yeah. So she takes a step. And I, and I do think she steps to Perrin because that's what she was thinking about when she start, fell asleep. Yeah, probably. She also has the thought, well, I'm not learning anything here. Maybe I should just look around. She steps and she sees a wolf laying on the floor by Perrin. Which is also a possibly a good way to learn about Teleran Riyadh would be by hanging out with these wolves. It's true. Not that that's where Egwene's plot goes, but... No. And this is Hopper. Yeah. It could be Teleran Riyadh responding to that. My question is, why does Hopper approach her so aggressively? He's protecting Perrin. I don't think he knows who she is. Wait, does he? Have they met? Did they meet in real yeah, life? Yeah, they met in real life. I think they did. Life. Like, there was... Egwene was there when when Elias and Perrin and Dapple and Hopper and Byrne all met. That's right. She was there when Hopper died. Well, I mean, just as I read this, the way she perceives the wolf uncurling and standing up and coming over to her, the wolf's teeth looked as big as knives and she freaks out. I mean, well, yeah, she yeah. could just be projecting her own fear I think she's of just being projecting. caught off guard seeing the wolf there. Totally. That's that's what I think. I think he's just getting up and like saying hi, you know, because often when I go out with Timber, people are like, oh, my God, your dog. And I'm like, yeah, he's 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 saying hi to you. He's a fluff. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a little bit of what's going on here. I buy um, it. I buy it. And of course, then with with Perrin, he's preventing himself from experiencing the wolf dream by holding himself in chains. I was wondering what that was. He's sitting in an inn, but there's a piece of stone in the floor, a stone pillar, a black stone pillar. He's leaning against a stone pillar in the middle of the inn. Yeah. And he's wrapped around with chains, but there's no lock on the chains. He's just holding the ends and he's holding as tight as he can. Yeah, the chains like go through these like the chains go through these like anchors on the floor basically, and he's like holding the ends of them so that way the rest of the chain like squeezes him against this pillar so he can't move. Like he's holding himself prisoner. And I, I'm you know I think that's an analogy for you know Perrin has these great abilities until I run Riyadh, and he is literally preventing himself from from using them or experiencing them. So when he's asleep and until I run Riyadh, he's doing everything he can to hold himself in check. And just wrapping himself up in chains. Yeah. Yeah, he yells, no, Egwene. And the door swung shut before her face. And total darkness enveloped her. Does he push her out? I think Egwene was backing up. I think that Egwene was already backing out and she wanted to be away from there. So she just swung to the next place. From what I'm reading, she stands out in front of the door the door swings open, she sees stuff, and then the door swings shut. Yeah. But she had, like, walked into the room, because I think there's some... I'm looking for it right now, but I think that she... She stepped into the room, yeah. She backed out. Yeah. Perrin, she said only she stepped into the room. Blah, blah, blah. Sometime later, Egwene hastily stepped back out into the hall in spite of herself. No, you know what, Leia? I, I highly agree with you. I think that her very rough control of Teler and Riyadh right now is 
like bouncing her around with her thoughts and her need. Like she's looking for something that can help her with her overall mission, but her overall mission is so undefined right now. And it's just like protecting her friends and Perrin and Rand are her friends. So of course, Teller and going to take her to them. Well, and she hasn't invoked a need yet. No, I think it's a subconscious thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I think she's just going to the people she was thinking about when she fell asleep. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So we see her go to Perrin, and then after a moment, she then ends up being taken to Rand. I also thought, I said this already, but I also thought that the first time she jumps, she's thinking about learning more about Teleran Riyadh and, and she you know, goes the things to the that she brother. needs to learn. Yeah, and she shows up beside Perrin and Hopper, who are on the same journey. Well, not the self-same journey, but you know what I mean. 
learning about the world of dreams. I, and I, I don't think Hopper is about to attack Egwene. I think he's maybe suspicious. She's like, she gets to a point where she's like, everything that I've done before, I was just jumping from place to place. But I think that when she was jumping from place to place, like when she jumped to Perrin, like you said, she was looking for something that could help her make sense of Teller and Riyadh. And that's why she went to Perrin and the Wolves. And then when she jumped to Rand after that, it was more of a, I feel unsafe. I need to feel safe. And where else in Teller and Riyadh is she going to feel safe than with Rand, who was ultimately going to be her husband and protector and who she still sees in some ways as that, even if she's moving away from that. Oh, yeah, totally. I think we saw that in the conversation or during the, her conversation with Elaine and that little paragraph where she, her thought paragraph. Yeah, where she has to fight the jealousy off a little bit. Mm hmm. See, still, you know, those kind of feelings don't go away so easily. No, they it's don't. Only go been, away it so hasn't easily. been very long. The only one there was a tall young man sitting and staring into the flames. Rand. Those flames did not burn wood. They did not burn anything that she could see. The fire danced above a bare patch of ground. She did not think they even scorched the soil. Before she could move, Rand raised his head. She was surprised to see he was smoking a pipe, a thin ribbon of tabac smoke lifting from the bowl. He looked tired, so very tired. Who's out there? He demanded loudly. You've rustled enough leaves to wake the dead, so you might as well show yourself. Egwene's lips compressed, but she stepped out. I did not, she thinks. It's me, Rand. Do not be afraid. It is a dream. I must be in your dreams. He was on his feet so suddenly that she stopped dead. He seemed in some way larger than she remembered, and a touch dangerous, perhaps more than a touch. His blue-gray eyes seemed to burn like frozen ice. Did you say frozen ice? Oh, frozen fire. Oops. Do you think I don't know it's a dream? He sneered. I know it. I know that makes it no less real. He stared angrily out into the darkness as if looking for someone. How long will you try? He shouted at the night. How many faces will you send? My mother, my father, now her. So who do you think is sending dreams against him? Ishamayo. And Lanfear, probably. I See, I don't I think, think Lanfear is. Not yet? No, because Lanfear still wants to help him as much as she can and, like, win him over. I don't think that she's trying to fuck with his head on that extreme level yet. What about Bilal? Oh, how did we forget Bilal? He's doing stuff to Rand's dreams right now, too. Yeah, we just see so little of Bilal in... Teller and Riyadh, and we see Teller and Riyadh tied to him so often, I think it's easy to dismiss. So do we think that all these visitations that Rand is referencing in this scene are all constructions of Ishmael? I think so, and I think in those instances, it's not when he's just walking Teller and Riyadh the way he is now. I think in those instances, LTT has, or not LTT, Ishmael has has pulled him into a dream shard. That could be. And now that you guys say that, I, I don't think we've seen Lanfear visit Rand in his dreams yet. And we know he hasn't warded his dreams yet, so pretty much anyone can get in. Yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> and I think the dream, I think any dreams with Kalendor are the ones that Bilal is sending. So anytime Rand is dreaming of the sword or glory or the heart of the stone, that's Bilal sending him dreams. Anytime his family is trying to poison him or kiss him, I do see evidence of Lanfear visiting him here. With the pretty girl that tempted him with more than just a kiss? Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
My mother gave me honey cake with the smell of poison in it. My father had a knife for me, and she, doesn't specify who, she offered kisses and more. And I'm pretty sure that's land. Which I, I do agree with you in the sense that it could very likely be Lawnfear. My other speculation is that it could be Ishamael projecting Elaine or Min. That was my first thought, but now reading it again, everyone else tries to kiss him. Everyone else tries to kill him. She just offers him kisses and power and sex. That is Lanfear. Yeah. Totally. I think that's actually Lanfear visiting. Him. She tries to feed into the most animalistic desires of the people around her because she's so rooted in those herself. This is all about the one power sex and rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, totally. She is <laughs> like, I've always kind of pictured Lanfear as Lana Del Rey. I, I, Seth is looking around. I get, it's a, a famous musician. Do you not know Lana Del Rey? Isn't Del Rey a publishing company? No, Lana Del Rey is, I mean, it might be, but Lana Del Rey is like, she's a goddess. We don't deserve her. <laughs> no, that's, you're, you're totally right. I feel like Lanfear looks a, a lot like that. Well, Obscure, you said all I want to do is get high by the beach. I'm thinking of the song where she is like money, power, glory. Like, I feel like that is her jam. That one, and I fucked my way to the top. Like, I feel like that is <laughs> that is Lawnfear to the nines. Yeah, but I don't think Lawnfear ever fucks anyone she doesn't want to. No, but I'm pretty sure that she made people think she did. She tries to tie him in a bit of air just to make him listen, which is typical stubbornness from her. Uh, and he cuts her weaves, which I thought was interesting. With a sword. Well, with a, with a, with the one power sword. Right. But I, I just thought it was interesting. Um, doesn't prove or disprove anything, but I like the imagery because it, I, it's kind of a lot of what I think about when we're having that conversation about channeling in Teleran Riyadh, where, Rand uses what he knows how to use to do something with the one power. So, I mean, it stands to reason that he could do that in real life. He could cut a flow of the power with a sword made out of the one power. Why not? Right. Especially because his sword, it's a projection of fire, but I'm pretty sure that there's some spirit in there too. And spirit Agreed. is what's generally used to cut weaves. I was just going to say that, that you need spirit to cut weaves. So I'm assuming, you know, well, I was going to say it's maybe like a little sheath of spirit around his sword of fire. I think it's just you interwoven know? fire and spirit together to yeah. make the sword itself. You were going to listen to me, Randall Thor, if I have to sit <laughs> on you. I thought for a moment, like, how does he not know it's her when she says that, you know? Lanfear would never say, if I have to sit on you. Yeah, she wouldn't. Or maybe she would. No, she know. wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, not in that, not in that context. <laughs> Rand actually has a flashback to the scene and thinks that oh god it really was her I almost killed her oh does he? he yeah he does almost immediately after this like he wakes oh. up and he's like oh my god I almost killed Elaine that was really her or Gwen. And she gathers up Sidar and tries to make an air net and he, Rand cuts the flow Rand laughed I learn you see when it works now pause for a minute because he does this to Egwene not knowing what she does 
And later on, in this very book, him and Lanfear duke it out in the halls of the Stone of Tear, and she does uh-huh. the same thing to him, and he damn near shits himself, like, how did you even do that? That shouldn't be possible. But he did the same thing to Egwene right here. He's a little nuts. You think right it's now? you think it's like a, a a pressure insanity thing right now, or do you yeah. think that it's just an inconsistency in the writing? Um, I I just think it's I don't even know if he knows what he did. He saw something coming. He cut it. I, I was just about yeah. to suggest that he wouldn't that, be conscious that that was oh that Lanfear even could do the same thing to him. And mate, perhaps if you kind of try to look at this from his perspective, maybe he just thinks that she's afraid of the sword. No, because he felt it. He felt it slice the weaves. Like I'm pretty sure that he felt it slice the weaves because like. Egwene, he says, "I learn." Yeah, Egu- yeah, and and Egwene feels her threads sliced and recoil back into her. Yeah, hmm. but when he can regularly hold Sidene, Leia, he does these things with it that he has no like knowledge of at all. Like it's just, it's almost like muscle memory slowly coming back to him. That's a good way to explain it. When Lanfear does it to him, I think it's a little bit like getting punched in the face. And you're like, oh, but wait, I didn't know you could do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's just that little bit of like, even though you've punched someone in the face, maybe you never realize what but it felt somebody like. somebody else could punch you back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think that was a little bit of like, even though he's cut the weaves, he never realized someone else could cut his weaves. Like the epitome of arrogance. Oh, yeah. Well, if Rand's nothing if not arrogant. That's true. Then she flickers off again yeah heads back to her original landing site the perfect dreamscape and she starts thinking about rand while she's there yeah i thought this little line was interesting she took another long breath to calm herself the only way to help him is to gentle him she muttered as well go ahead and kill him her stomach twisted and nodded i'll never do that never i think that's a reference to her testing oh yeah that was earlier today Oh, yeah. Well, she says, Light, why couldn't I help him? Oh, Light, Rand. And she's totally thinking about gentling him. Like, I think she even mentions gentling him earlier in the chapter. Like, the only way to help him would be to gentle... Oh, right here, she mentions it. The only way to help him is to gentle him. But, yeah, she's still she's still on that because the, her three challenges in the three rings were all related to Rand, her failure in saving Rand, basically, in different ways. Yeah, like her her testing is still messing with her head so hard right now. Obscure, that's literally the only thing she can think to do for him, which I think is incredibly unfortunate because like she's so blinded by tradition and and established precedent that she can't think of anything else to do for Rand. Like that's one of her shortcomings. As much as I love her, it's such a shortcoming for her. I mean, that's a problem in the entire Randland. Like the idea that I said I tried for thousands of years to help this me- these men. The most powerful, knowledgeable I said I in the world tried to help these men, and that resulted in the breaking. And this is sort of common knowledge lore that like there is nothing you can do for them, literally nothing. And and unless you know more than the most powerful I said I of all time, which you don't, so don't bother trying. And 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 of course, you know the only person who does actually try and you know breaks the rule. Is naive. 
the only person who would believe that she could do better than the most powerful eyes that I have all time. Exactly. <laughs> Arrogant ass, prideful ass, naive. She does, of course, succeed. She does, because she's also a badass. She Because she is possibly the most powerful eyes that I have all time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, even even if there's some other Aes Sedai who may ha- be higher on the power scale, I gotta say Nynaeve is probably more powerful. The most talented, certainly. Yes. Yeah, definitely the most talented. I wouldn't say the most powerful in the actual power sense of it. But no, definitely. no, definitely not raw power, but raw power plus talent plus a willingness to use it plus the ability to be in the right place at the right time plus sheer, sheer stubborn will. Will. Yeah, she's dogged you know. and tenacious. Like, if Nynaeve learned Teller and Riyadh, nobody could touch her. No. <laughs> no. Like, I think Perrin and Aguin together would struggle to take Nynaeve and, and Teller and Riyadh. You know, I, I gotta say, on, on the other hand, I, I might disagree with you on that. Really? Because Nynaeve does doubt herself sometimes. That's true. And sure. Egwene never does. <laughs> and that's why she is so powerful until I run Riyadh. She has never once in her life doubted that she is absolutely right in everything she does. Nynaeve has doubts. Yeah, Nynaeve questions herself often. <laughs> yeah. But when she buckles down, there's no moving her. So at this point, Egwene holds on to the ring and tries to kind of make it move her to need. Well, okay, so she uses need. And later we hear that they're able to do, you can do that in Teleron Riyadh to mm-hmm. take you to where you want to go. I don't think it has anything to do with the stone. I think channeling a trickle of power into it, all that kind of stuff is, is totally useless. I think it's just the fact that she closes her eyes, concentrates on her need, and takes a step. That's exactly what they do when they find the bowl of the winds. Oh, yeah, she just doesn't know what she's doing. Right. She shuts her eyes and, like, hopes real hard. And then, well, you found your way at last, child. All sorts of answers here. Egwene's eyes snapped open. She stood in a great hall, its vast dome ceiling supported by a forest of massive redstone columns. And hanging in midair was a sword of crystal, gleaming and sparkling as it slowly revolved. She was not certain, but she thought it might be the sword Rand had been reaching for in that dream, that other dream. This all felt so real. She had to keep reminding herself it was a dream, too. Welcome to the heart of the stone. One of the most popular meeting places in the world of dreams. Right? (laughs) Because nobody meets there in the real world. There's so many meetings, it's frequently double booked. (laughs) (laughs) And then people hang out behind the columns, listening to what people are saying. And yeah, it's... And, of course, this old woman is, can we all say it together? Lanfear. <laughs> oh, old Sylvie. Old child. Man, I so, absolutely love the way that Kate Redding does her voice. Oh, isn't it great? <laughs> God, Kate Redding is so good. I mean, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding together just do a fantastic job. Yeah, I've not listened to any other audiobook reader ever that does nearly as good of a job as they do. I'm kind of ruined. I'm kind of ruined because there may be other audiobook readers that do as good of a job, but I still prefer. But it's not them. But it's not them. So, like, it's, you know. I don't want a new audiobook reader. I want my old audiobook reader. I feel it. Like, I've listened to books on Audible and been like, this would would be so much better if it was Michael Kramer and Kate Redding. Can I just have them read this book? They should just read all the books. (laughs) I'd say number one, number two is Mike. 
Kramer and then Kate Redding. You think Kramer's better than Redding? I think he's more consistent. Oh, okay. And then, of course, we all we all know who number three is here. Patrick. Oh, yeah. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't give you number one or two. <laughs> I don't deserve them. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that Patrick is humble enough to know that that he doesn't compete with the gods yet. No, not quite. We're getting there, though. We're getting there. <laughs> That's one thing I love about you guys is as big as this has become, you guys are still superhuman and super humble. Oh, we are superhuman. I mean... Superhuman. Not... No, we're... We're superhuman is like two separate words, not superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Egwene said. Just poor old Sylvie, my lady. The old woman cackled. I'm going to skip ahead a little. Sylvie, you said something about finding answers here. Oh, you've come to the right place for answers, my lady. The heart of the stone is full of answers and secrets. The High Lords would not be pleased to see us here, my lady. Oh, no. But... None but the High Lords enter here. And servants, of course. She gave a sly, screeching laugh. Which is why Lanfear is disguised as a servant. Yeah. The High Lords don't sweep and mop, but who sees a servant? Another thing, um, since we seem to be pausing for a second, that I wanted to say about this whole scene was when they're talking about her face, and Lanfear, as Sylvie, admits that it's an ugly face. And she says, don't let it, my lady. It serves me. When I need it, as good as a prettier. Oh yeah, I skipped over that part, but I had it highlighted as well. Which is exactly the same thing that she says to Rand when she reveals that she was hiding in the waste as Kylie. Right. She has no problem hiding out as an ugly woman. Yeah. Nobody expects it. She uses her attractiveness either in the negative or in the positive. As a way, uh, as a yeah, tool. every time. Yeah. Because... Lana Del Rey, I mean Lanfear, was really pretty. <laughs> yeah. Sylvie was hobbling toward the crystal sword. Plots, she said, as if to herself. All of them pretending to serve the great lord. Great lord. And all while plotting and planning to regain what they lost. Each one thinking he or she is the only one plotting. Ishmael is a fool. And that's just Lanfear muttering to herself. Absolutely. But it's also yeah. just purely Lanfear. Ishamael is a fool. Totally. Only Lanfear um, ever like says that so vehemently. Also, Seth put emphasis on it, but only Dark Friends and the Chosen call the Dark One the Great Lord. What? Egwene said sharply. What did you say about Ishmael? And then Lanfear plays it off yeah. like well just a, something poor folks say and it's like no <laughs> it's not something poor folks say try it my lady say belzaman is a fool and she does it next thing i have is them addressing calendor I like how sylvie smacks at it with her staff and there's like a a protection around it so you can't touch it a barrier weaved from both powers and Egwene kind of tries to probe it with sidar and she's she describes it like a basket that's loosely woven, but she realizes that it's actually solid, but the parts she can't see are woven with Sidene. She's lucky touching it with Sidar didn't have some serious backlash on her. And that it's not trapped or something? Yeah, I mean, because Rand set, when he takes it out and then puts it back in, he sets all sorts of traps around it. Right. I, I guarantee doing the same thing would have gotten her just wasted. Obliterated, bale-fired yeah. out of nowhere. I think at that point, Rand wants people to come after Kalendor so that whoever comes and gets it 
will be killed by the traps that he leaves. But the people who originally put this here did something totally different. So that only Rand could do anything take the sword with from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When the there was a, a trap he put on the ways so that when the Trollocs passed through it, they would be exposed to something and then die later. And it was this self reset. Leia brings up a really good point as the uh, weaves around Kalendor, more proof for channeling in Teller and Riyadh. No, because that's a reflection of the real world, and those exist in the real world. But the weaves are there, and if the one power wasn't real in Teller and Riyadh, I don't think that those weaves would reflect. I think it would just be a block. You wouldn't be able to touch it. The effect of the weaves would be there, but the weaves themselves would not. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> head cannon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, Leia agrees with me. The next sentence I thought was really important is when Lanfear says, what wouldn't one of the Forsaken give to hold Kalimdor? And I think what she's doing there is basically giving away Bilal's plans to Egwene, telling her that that's what Bilal is planning to do. Like, try and bring Rand into the stone, have him take the sword, and then take the sword away from him. Yeah, and I assume it's Bilal that's showing up right after that footsteps echoed in the distance definitely Bilal he's coming to stare at it again she muttered awake or asleep do you think it's Bilal or do you think it's Rand Bilal I think it's Bilal I mean we never see the person but I I just assumed it was Bilal she's talking about the Forsaken she's talking about their plans she's talking about how desperately the Forsaken want it and uh I think what Bilal is doing is he goes there in his dreams, stares at the sword, and then projects those dreams to Rand to try and get him to come for it. I'm shrugging. Yeah, well, Sylvie kind of ushers her out. And here's the part that we were talking about a little bit earlier. She's like, oh, you have to go. It won't do if he sees you here. See, and why would it matter if Rand saw her there? It wouldn't. But it would matter if Bilal saw her there. He'd do something about it. I think that it would matter if Rand saw her there because I think it's less that it would matter that Rand saw her there and more that Lawnfear doesn't want Egwene to be there when she reveals herself to Rand. It could be. We don't we don't know who's showing up. But I, I, I assume it's Bilal. I'm on team Bilal. <laughs> I, no, I'm totally like I'm not firmly set this is not a hill I'm willing to die on. I don't care one way or the other. <laughs> well, while Sylvie is, you know, saying, oh, you have to go, I'll get you out of here. And Egwene says, well, just show me the way or tell me there's no need to push me. There, there's no need to push. And then the old woman's fingers had somehow gotten tangled around the stone ring. Don't touch that, Sylvie. Safe in your bed, Sylvie says. Pain annihilated the world. Perfect perspective switch as Egwene wakes up and that made me wonder and is you know probably more just open speculation but that made me wonder if um so we saw Lanfear in in the last the last time we saw Lanfear really eyeball the stone ring and when she's kicking Egwene out of Teleran Riyadh she does do something to the ring and that just made me wonder if the ring makes it harder to push someone in or out of Teleran Riyadh against their will? Maybe. I mean, it's a literal object of the power that's holding them in Teleran Riyadh. And yeah. I, I, th I think that Lanfear is separating 
her connection. The connection between the two of them. Uh, that's what I thought. I thought she does something with the ring. See, I'm not necessarily convinced that she does something with the ring because later, um, I don't know if it's in this book. I think it's in the next book. It is in the next book. When Egwene is with the wise ones, and I think it's Amis. She promises Amis not to enter Teller and Riyadh without her permission or without her there to teach her. And then, like, she's talking to Elaine, and suddenly she's, like, ripped out, and she's forced to, like, confront Amis. And Amis, like, does this crazy thing where she, like, turns her face into a monster's face. And then she pulls Egwene out of Teller and Riyadh for real, for real. Like, I just feel like... It has nothing to do with the ring. It's just being a talented dreamer. You can force somebody into or out of the world of dreams. I I think you could, but I also think... But at, at that point, she's not using the ring, right? No, she was using the ring then. She does carry it with her. Uh, I don't think that she has given the ring up yet. When does she give up the ring? At some point, she gives it to Elaine, because she doesn't need it anymore during her training. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was pretty early on in her training. Oh, you know what, Lauren? For some reason, I feel like you might be right. It might have been when they went their separate ways in Tyr, when uh, Egwene decided to go to the Waste and they decided to go to Tenchiko. So she might not have the ring in that particular part with Amis. You might be right. That's what I was thinking, is that, like, yeah, she can pull her out of the dream because she's just in the dream on her own. Right. Whereas what Lanfear has to do is actually cut that connection because yeah. she's using an object of power. Somebody in the chat said something about severing the body contact. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. We'll stick with that. With a throat-wrenching shriek, Egwene sat up in the dark, sweat rolling down her face. For a moment, she had no idea where she was and did not care. Oh, light, she moaned. That hurt. Oh, light that hurt. She ran her hands over herself, sure her skin must be scored and wheeled to make such a burning. She could not find a mark. We're here, Nynaeve's voice said from the darkness. We're here, Aguin. She's happy to be back. Elaine lights all the candles in the room. Well, save, she lights one with a something match-like, and then Just smiles a, and lights them all at once. Flint yeah. and steel, Using I think, is what it was. Yeah, re- kind of silly aside, but Robert Jordan used a word here spill and the spill she had lit with the flint and steel in the other yeah it made me think it that's like well i could speculate but i could also google it it's probably like a piece of wood or something that catches fire with a spark like very easy pine resin or something yeah. yeah but i do have that whole little piece highlighted right there that whole paragraph from when Nynaeve calls out to elaine and to when she lights the candles because it's like she could have just channeled it. She has enough control with the one power. And I think that that's what Nynaeve was telling her to do was channel us some light. But mm-hmm. it's not first instinct for Elaine yet because she's still so new to the power to do things with yeah. the power. Oh, yeah. She's getting there. So I just Googled it and a spill is, yeah, it's pretty much a primitive lighter. So like a piece of wood coated in pine resin or something that you could put a spark on and. So she says, you know, hey, we we need to learn from that experience. Wake me up after an hour or a certain amount of time. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't know how to get the hell out of there. Because she has no exit strategy at this point. So she says, you know, you guys need to wake me up because otherwise I don't know how to get out. I don't have much after that. And I need to ask what's ha- what happened. Egwene relays the story. 
she doesn't tell Elaine and Nynaeve about Perrin and the wolves. And that's something she actually knew about previously, as, as Travis, you pointed out, when because she, she encountered the wolves. In the steading. Yeah, in the steading with, with the same time Perrin did. She was right there with him. She knows Perrin doesn't want people to know about his weird Yeah, she superpower. respects that it's his secret. Right, right. And so this seems to give them confirmation that whatever is going on with the Black Aja is in the heart of the stone. Yeah. Now, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily get that from what she encountered, but, you know, I guess Kalindor is the right pull. Yeah. Well, they seem set after this. They're going to Tyr. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, everything is pointing them to Tyr. Everything is. I mean, granted, all of it is set up by... And by everything you mean, the, Lanfear. By, by, yeah, by Lanfear, but everything, every clue that they have been able to find and deduce is pointing them to the Stone of Tear. Elaine says, it does not change the trap, she said. If it is not a diversion, it is a trap. Nynaeve smiled grimly. The best way to catch whoever set a trap is to spring it and wait for him to come, or her, in this instance. Yeah, but you have to be well-armed, right? Like, <laughs> don't take three novices and put them up against 13 black Aja and just jump into the trap. You get back up. Right, Nynaeve. You can spring the trap, but then you're trapped. Right. Is the problem. <laughs> well, I think that she's hoping to spring the trap without actually being in the trap. Like, I think of, like, a, a, a mouse trap or something where she, like, uses a <laughs> stick to, to push the button. Right. That would be ideal. But <laughs> I think what, what ends up happening throughout the series is she just shoves her hand right into it. Right. <laughs> yeah, she just grabs the cheese every time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no regard for her fingers. And then when the hunter shows up, she just beats them up with the trap. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. You're going to tell me how to get out of this one way or the other. <laughs> Fife to beat you all the way through the Stone of Tear and back. So they make a decision to to take off, and then they just have a few things they need to take care of before they go. Importantly, sending a letter to Queen Morgays from Elaine. From Elaine. Yeah, Elaine is concerned that her mom will flip out again if she doesn't at least send some kind of letter. So they're trying to figure out how to do that without people knowing what they're going to do. And Matt's got a ticket to fly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Nynaeve eventually comes to the conclusion that they have one person that they can hand to, they can hand a letter to who will be happy to deliver it all the way to Camelin, if only to get the hell out of there. Because, you know, he wants nothing more than to be as far away from the White Tower as he can be. Oh, yeah. They're already considering using the papers mm -hmm. to send the letter that they have from the Amerlin. Yeah. So, you know, that's ideas in the front of their mind when they go and meet up with Matt tomorrow. With about the letter and keeping it away from the Armorland's attention, because that's another thing, Elaine said. The Armorland does not know that I am one of you. I have to find some way to send it with no chance of her seeing it. And I just highlighted it and just wrote LMAO next to it because. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I, I had that thought when I was reading through, too, that. Oh, they they don't think Swan knows that Elaine is a part, but it's been like from that very first conversation. <laughs> right, she yeah. had every that was actually her plan. Totally. Yeah, totally. exactly. So. She has plausibility 
uh, plausible deniability is all she's going for there. Right. Yeah. She won't order Elaine to do it, but she knows Elaine will. <laughs> and then when when Egwene says something, Elaine was like, I wish I sounded as confident. Or Egwene says, I wish I sounded as confident as Elaine. And it's just kind of the same running trope between the girls that the boys have with each other. Right. Right. I wish I was as good with women. I wish I was as confident. Yeah, exactly. And like we see like Avienda, like I'm I, I'm glad I'm never scared the way Avienda is never scared. But yeah. Avienda is like constantly water. terrified. <laughs> right, constantly <laughs> terrified. And constantly being like, How do I live up to the example these these wetlanders are setting for me? Especially uh, with yeah, with Elaine. The the relationship between yeah. Elaine and, and and Avienda is amazing. They do a really good job of, of I was friendly. just about to say, I can't, I was thinking about this recently and I can't wait to get to the part where there's like, for like half a book, uh, uh, Avienda's like walking while sharpening her knife so that Elaine can skin her. I think sleeping it was with her or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I, yeah, I don't think we ever see the exact reason, but she spends all this time honing this knife so that she can present it to Elaine. That was totally it. Yeah. She carried like a knife, a switch, and a club or something, and laid them yeah. all at Elaine's feet and was like, have your way with me because I have toe. And, yeah. and she was sharpening a knife because she wanted it to be a clean She's cut. like, hooked up with your guy, so... Meanwhile, Matt's watching, thinking the entire time weapon. that Avienda's prepping the knife to kill, to kill Elaine. Elaine. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> they both have interest in the same man. Right. <laughs> well, if I just kill her, he's all mine. I'll do the readout. Nynaeve, Egwene said in a small voice, I don't want to be alone tonight. It pained her to make that admission. I don't either, Elaine said. I keep thinking about the Solus. I do not know why, but they frighten me even more than the Black Aja. I suppose, Nynaeve said slowly. I don't really want to be alone myself. She eyed the bed where Egwene lay. It looks big enough for three, if everybody keeps her elbows to herself. Later... When they were shifting about, trying to find a way to lie that did not feel so crowded, Nynaeve suddenly laughed. What is it? Egwene asked. You're not that ticklish. I just thought of someone who would be very happy to carry Elaine's letter for her. Happy to leave Tarvalin, too. In fact, I'd bet on it. I just love that they said I'd bet on it, because... Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, that's Matt. There's no questioning who it was after she says that. Not to mention the next chapter. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Astral, if you don't knock it the hell off, dude. <laughs> Timber, you're a good boy. <laughs> Thanks, Seth. Just rub it in. <laughs> He's lying here quietly at my feet. Astral just wants to be on the podcast, too. That's 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 what I've decided. Your cat can be the Shadow Haran of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If Timber's napeless, yeah. I think that's fair. She's the hand of the shadow, huh? <laughs> That'd be a good name for a cat. All the kittens have lost their mittens, and now you all must die. And now you must die. <laughs> Shadow would be an awesome name for all a right. cat. So here yeah, is a be. very obscure shout-out. Has anyone else ever read the webcomic web Sluggy.com? I, I haven't. Okay. This, this was like an, a really obscure webcomic that is Bambi's requesting a link I think that's fair something like I mean sluggy.com it's a really really old webcomic started in like 2000 like 98 so I think it just hit its 20 year old and he's been doing daily comics for most of that time and of course the artwork starts out terrible but it gets better and it is ridiculously complicated and I think Wheel of Time fans may enjoy it if you like webcomics noted <laughs> it's an investment that's exactly what i need is more things to distract me while i'm on the computer at work <laughs> i spend a lot of time on discord at work <laughs> uh i mean yeah i think a lot of people do yeah i would love eventually one day like if I ever can make it up to Portland to like meet you guys in person. Oh yeah. yeah. You're from California. We can cut that out. California. I don't care. I have nothing to hide from anyone. Okay. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whenever I, this is an open invitation. Like if you're ever in Portland, send us a message, look us up. We'd love to get a beer with you. Definitely. Yeah. We'll yeah. stop by and if you know... or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And if you don't drink beer, which we'll, I don't, we'll get coffee with you. We'll get a, a soda water with you. I don't. I don't drink beer. I think that all beer is vile, tbh. But do you do you, do you not drink, or do you just drink liquor? Um, I drink on occasion. Last night, actually, I I made margaritas for my warder and a friend. Um, but I, I normally nice. I don't drink beer. I just think beer tastes gross. I've never found a beer that I could like. Eh, it's not for everyone. And then, like, people tell me, oh, it's like... Uh... Travis, I'm sorry, we're going to have to end this call. Um, <laughs> we're having some technical difficulties. Seth is the biggest beer guy. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough?
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.